0: Is Jesus all you need? You know, we have this phrase that we often hear about those who have attended church and no longer do so. Well, I tried Jesus. I mean, you know, that's like, it comes off like they've tried the latest fad of this or that. Or you've tried the local restaurant for the first time. I mean, Jesus is a person, (laughs) not something you try. You might try religion, but Jesus is not something you try. It's somebody you come to know. And if you ever meet him in a very personal way, you, I promise you, you will never be the same. And every day is a growing experience in his grace for those who love him. In this letter of Paul to the Colossians. This was the church that he had never met. He was not there. He didn't plant this church. As we uh, read in the first part of chapter 1, Epaphras, who probably came from the church of Ephesus, went south, maybe this is where he was from, and started a home church, and it grew and developed so much so that Paul wrote this letter. Now, he knows a lot about the Colossians because Epaphras has come to visit him while he's there in Rome while he's incarcerated. And a lot of these fellows did come and brought support from the local churches there uh, while Paul was imprisoned. And um, an interesting way of God meeting his needs there. So just by way of reminder, since it's been a couple weeks since we've been here, in the first chapter, Paul, you know, he greets them his way and he gives thanks, as Paul does, and talks about keeping Christ preeminent In their lives, so important that Jesus Christ is first in our lives in all things. He makes everything else fall into its place. He prays for them, and he just lets them know that everything that pertains to their faith in Christ is all found in the person of Christ. And in as in all of his epistles, he mentions suffering. A Christianity without personal suffering for righteousness sake is not really true Christianity. This is one of those great and precious promises that we don't appreciate. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The world will reject us, not us necessarily personally, but we take it personal. It's the truth. It's what we represent. The gospel of Christ is an offense to the fallen nature of mankind. So whether it's you delivering the message or somebody else, the truth is not always received by those outside of faith. And then Paul moves into this, what we call chapter two, this, another paragraph here. Uh, he makes, he wants to drive home the point that we as believers are complete in Christ. Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is all that I need. He is all that you need. Now, you know, I I sort of kid my brothers and sisters. Well, mostly my brothers. I usually don't have that kind of relationship with uh, sisters in the Lord. But those who have gone through AA, for example, you know, they talk about really being, if they wouldn't have been this 12-step program uh, that they went through, that would have been, you know, uh, pretty tough for them. And But but through that, you know, and, and they embrace the real God, this sort of that generic thing that we all know about AA and all that, and that's uh, fine, it, it works for some people, whatever. I just, I always razz them a little bit about it because I believe in a one-step program, and that's Jesus. <laughs> you come to him and that'll, it'll all work out. You only need to take that step towards him. And that's what he drives home in verse 10 there. You are complete in him of chapter 2. He is the head of all principality and power. Now, if you're paying attention at all to Paul's writings, I I, I want to point this out because it's so easy to just blow right through this. What is Paul talking about when he says the head of all principality and power? Paul is very conscious. It's always in his spiritual peripheral vision, if you will, of the spiritual realm. We're in war. We're part of the battle between heaven and earth and what's going on there. And it's so easy for us to just ignore that and just think all that we, it's, our life is about is what we can see, sense, and feel with our senses here. And that would be a, a, a bad perspective to have. And so Paul, in his writings, is always reminding us of this spiritual warfare that's going on. He's talking about the, the unseen realm, the realm that we can't see, the, the place where the enemies of God roam, so to speak. It is between the realm of earth, the physical realm, and the heavenly realm is where these hostile people or beings, I should say, uh, live. And so as he begins chapter 2 here, the first thing that he wants to warn these faithful believers, these young believers in the faith about is not to get deceived, by philosophy how many people in the church today think well if i was just a little bit smarter you know i'm really if i just knew a little bit more and there's that thing about us that oh i just need more education now i'm not against education you all know that i love all my kids went to school i pushed 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 (laughs) and they all got their degrees right i mean that's very important the most important degree we can get is our spiritual education and yet there was this enemy without the church, and there's this enemy without the church today, the uh, philosophy of the the age, and in this case, what he, he wanted them to know what great conflict he had for those in Laodicea in this whole area there in Asia Minor, that the Gnostics were undermining the work and teaching. A, a, the de- about the deity of Christ was false. That Jesus really wasn't God. He was something other than that. He was this phantom being sent from God. And, you know, when Jesus walked down the sandy path, he actually didn't leave footprints, you know. He was, you know, because God would never touch the material world because it's evil. All these kinds of crazy uh, concepts that they were putting on upon the new believers and, and dissuading them from the simplicity that's in Christ, and so he, his desire there was to encourage uh, the people there, to, that they might be, you know, keep it simple, just love each other, be knit together in heart, and 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 just receive the blessing, the fullness of what God has for you, in the person of Christ, and don't don't get ripped off by these smooth talkers that with the, people with deceptive words and all. But be rooted and build up in that whole thing there that we went through a couple weeks ago. Don't be captivated. You're complete in Christ. And now as we move into the section that we're covering tonight here, verses uh, 10 or 11 through 23, which we aren't going to get through just to calm you a little bit. We're probably not going to make it through the whole thing, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> Amen to that, bro. Okay. Okay. <laughs> You have the attack from without the church, the philosophy, the, the wisdom of the world. You know, it's there. And we, you know, we can intellectualize our faith and all those things are they're, they're these outward things that come against us as, as believers. But there's a greater attack from within the church that we need to be aware of, and that is legalism. And so we'll pick it up here in verse 11. In him you were also circumcised, ...with the circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant over them in it. And so let no one judge you in food or drink and Guard to a festival or new moons or sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ, and let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern the things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and the neglect of the body but of no value against the indulgence of the flesh so this legalism Uh, I know that R.C. Sproul is a a reformist Uh, he's from the reformed theology field and and that's uh, his choice Uh, and you know our position my position with that is not uh, I don't embrace that at all, um, but that's not the purpose of teaching tonight. But I and so, but I do appreciate a number of things that those brothers bring to the table. They're very sharp and they're very analytical in a lot of their skills. And and one of the things that I pulled from uh, some of his writings uh, in regards to legalism, I thought was uh, good for us. Actually, uh, he said there's three basic forms of of legalism. One is basically abstracting from the law of god uh from its original context, taking what is written in the Bible and sort of just using it in a, in a play, in a way that was not uh all, at all ordained and it just uh, it's it's focuses more on just keeping the law in and of itself rather than the what 's behind it and sort of uh, w- what are, but what are we about i mean what are you know, one of the college professor, biblical professor, uh, he nailed it in saying this, quote, the essence of Christian theology is grace. The essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. That's what we're about. We're about grace and we're about expressing our gratitude to God for all the goodness that he's given to us. But what the legalist does is he isolates us from God who gave the law. Your focus becomes the law and not the person who gave the law. And Nor is there an understanding of the spirit or intent of the law, which is sort of the second uh, form of legalism. It divorces the letter from the law. It sees the letter of the law and would observe it, but doesn't understand the spirit that's behind the law. So you can see how deadly legalism can become. And then the other third type of legalism which is really dangerous which is really what the pharisees were uh deeply entrenched in and this is what Jesus rebuked them for I mean you you read you know Matthew 23 man I mean woe unto you oh, man I mean he's really r- wrecking these guys and he's provoking them obviously to crucify him essentially they're so angry with him but he nails them to the wall for adding their own rules to God's law. And this is uh, this is, I think what drives most people or keeps a lot of people out of the church and really from seeking the Lord. They look at a person's life like that and they realize that is absolutely completely phony. Do You don't think the people who, who observe the Pharisees and watch these and their conduct at that time of Christ couldn't see through how phony these guys were, and they but they knew that they had they were the gatekeepers, you know that they knew that they had to go through the Judeo form of worship of sacrifice and all to have communion with Yahweh, and so they they it was it, they were you know in a real rough situation, uh, but they you know the people could see through all those things, and and Jesus said you you, know, you teach human traditions as though they were the word of God, and you deny the mercy and the love of God, which things you should not have neglected for these little laws, traditions of men. I mean, he really raked them over the coal. It's really no different than the church today, really. You know, setting up certain policies. You know, you've got to do it this way, and if you don't do it, then you're probably not saved. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know, this is really kind of scary stuff, but this is the kind of thing that we have to be careful of. These are the attacks from within the church using the Bible out of context and, you know, establishing extra-biblical rules that are really not there. You know, like, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that you should never play cards. Now, there are certain people think you play cards, you're probably not a Christian. And if you were really born again, you would never, ever use a deck of cards. You know, you can get real narrow on this. And this is the kind of stuff that, you know, These are that would be, you know, the, the, some of these are conscience issues is where we come into. And my conscience is different than yours, been shaped by the Word, by my culture, by the way I was brought up. But ultimately, God's Word is, if God's Word is silent on it, then I can be silent on it. If God's Word is clear, then, then we can be clear on it. And we're not, as he said, they're not to judge one another in food and drink and holy days. One man esteems one day above another, that kind of thing. Just leave it up to the, to the Lord. And working with that person, so this is what was going on in the church, uh, or really a warning from Paul. You know, that's how he ended chapter one: that you know we uh, we want to present every man mature in Christ by preaching and teaching and warning. And so these are the two warnings that he gives right off that exhortation: be careful of the philosophy of men. What the world is teaching, the wisdom of the world, and then the legalism, the attack from within the church of Christ. So uh, as we break this down a little bit here, uh, he starts out with circumcision. Now, it's something we understand in the Western culture because that's what we do have done for decades with male children at birth uh, for hygienic reasons for the most part, not really understanding the significance of maybe the spiritual. But it started in uh, Genesis 17 and this was the sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. This was before the law. And this will be you know, this is the agreement God is saying to Abraham that you were going to have here. You are, are, this Abrahamic covenant that I'm establishing with you is going to bring the blessing to the whole world you you most of us are familiar with what went on there in chapter 12 and then repeated time a couple times after that and then again in chapter 17 when he lays down this this sign of the covenant when a, your son is 8 days old and everybody within your camp and your family who is of faith shall of uh, the male gender have uh, themselves circumcised; that, and anyone who is not, will be cut off from my relationship. Now, that was a physical, outward expression of what should be happening in the spirit for those who believe, those who have a relationship with God, that the cutting away of the stony heart to have a heart of flesh that can see and understand spiritual things and have an interaction and a personal relationship with God. Abraham had a personal relationship with God. His heart was circumcised. He was open uh, to the truth of God. And so we take this truth that's throughout the Old Testament, was incorporated into the law of Moses uh, for the nation of Israel. And it always has to do with the inner man. The deepest recesses of our being is our heart. And in Deuteronomy ten sixteen, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and be stiff-necked no longer. For your Lord your God of, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the Great, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, nor takes a bribe. He administers justice to the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Think of God's ability to keep His word. That was Deuteronomy ten sixteen through twenty two. Powerful scripture. A rehearsal to this younger generation that is now going to go into the Promised Land under the leadership of Joshua. The older generation failed miserably. To take the promises of God, to take the word of God. Their hearts really weren't circumcised. They weren't completely set apart to God. Therefore, their carcasses, as the Bible says, perished in the wilderness. And it was their children whom they feared would suffer at the hands of these giants in the land. These are the ones that went in and were blessed of God. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul that you may live. This is what it's all about. The tearing away of that stony heart, that self-will that is present in human, fallen human nature. Jeremiah 4, four, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it. And so every generation, you can see here, moving well into the future, Jeremiah, the same need is, was present. R- Stop being self-willed. Open your heart. Surrender your will to God. Circumcise your heart. And it's no different today. We don't refer to it that way, but that's what we do when we are born again. It's a wonderful experience that we have. That's the circumcision of our heart. It's the cutting away. Of what's in the in 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 blocking the relationship that we should have with the Lord Jesus, and so other references for that which we won't go through: Jeremiah nine twenty-five, Ezekiel forty-four seven through verse nine, and so circumcision, true circumcision, is what it's all about in Romans 2.25, Chapter 2, verse 25 through 29. Paul lays it out for the New Testament believers. He makes it very plain. For For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your written code of circumcision, who are transgressions of the law? For he is not a Jew as one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew as one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men. But from God, isn't that a great? Just it sort of capitalizes the whole truth right there. It, it's all about the reversal of us being on the throne and stealing God's glory to becoming broken, surrendered servants, and giving Him the glory and putting Him on the throne of our lives. It's just a wonderful picture, and you know, it's it's made without hands. It's not some you can't just keep the law and you know obey the rule and you'll be right with God. No. It's complete, absolute surrender, brokenness before God, cutting away, as it were, whatever we're dependent upon, gone. Okay, it's just you and me. It's your way, God. Putting away, putting off the body of sins of the flesh, as we read there. And Jesus is the only one that can do this for us. Isn't that great? Nobody no man can do this no pastor can do this for you no priest can do this for you this is this is the inner the deep inner personal relationship that you and I have with God it's individual one on one when you have a collective people that have done that and we have this formation of the, in, within the body of Christ and our hearts unite together in one spirit as we worship the presence of God is intense that's what church gathering where two or three are gathered in my name I'm there it, God is uniting us with his spirit it's a beautiful thing there Paul refers to this really as regeneration Titus 3 8 and 9 not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of a regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit it is the work that only god can do in our lives as we surrender to him read in your put in your notes titus 3 3 through 8 and then he goes from circumcision to baptism which is We no longer have circumcision as it were the main thing of the law. Now within the church we have two rituals that we observe. One would be water baptism and the other is the Lord's Supper or communion. And in the baptism we are identifying. It is identification. Baptizo. That is the taking what they would do in that Culture to make colored garments for the ladies to make beautiful tapestries and all. And they would take the cloth once it was made white and put it in the various colors of cloth or ink, whatever, that they wanted uh, the cloth to be. Blue, pink, red, whatever. They would baptize. They would immerse it into that fluid and it would become the same as that color it would be brought forth new transformed different and this is what baptism is it's i we identify as it were with Christ jesus was buried our dead our old man is buried with Christ and then Christ was raised by the power of the holy spirit the Spirit raised him from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. In the power of God. And so that same power is now infused within our new man. This is what baptism represents. Buried, raised. And with, by faith we receive all the benefits that come because Christ now lives. If it was the death of Christ that reconciled us to God... How much greater, Paul tells us, now that he's alive will his life bring forth the goodness and greatness that God has for each of our lives. His death reconciled us. How much more will his life produce life in us? It's a wonderful gift. And so Paul wants them to know the true significance of circumcision, the significance of true baptism, of really identifying with Christ and understand Really, to really appreciate those two, what circumcision is all about, and what baptism is all about, we really need to understand our true state. What we we should never forget where we came from, what we were before we came to Christ. This is what he has, verses thirteen through seventeen. Our true state: we were dead. Well, I'm really not that bad of a person. How many self-righteous people are in the church today that really have not quite repented? Well, not really that bad. Oh, yeah. It depends on what standard you're measuring yourself by. You measure your standard by the standard of men, I probably would agree with you, but that's not what we're talking about. That's not the standard that matters. It's God's standard that matters. Are you perfect? Are Are you without sin? There's only one man that could claim that, and that was the Lord, right? So we have to see that we were, as it says in verse 13 there, we were dead, separated from God in our trespasses. We overstepped our bounds. How many times have we crossed the line? That's what that's talking about. The WDs, willful disobedience. I know I know, we shouldn't be doing this, you know. Johnny, stay out of the cookie jar. You know, no. You know, yeah, we do it that's what we do. As soon as we are told not to do it, that's exactly what we're going to do. <laughs> Years ago, my one of my pastors, <laughs> he had three little kids, and he had these little beans. I think they're like, I don't know, kidney beans, dried beans. No, 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 no. She picked a bunch of green beans? Green beans. Green beans. Well, beans, okay. Just whatever. <laughs> and so they're snipping them you know what you do and he he's getting ready to leave the room and he says whatever you do don't don't put those in your nose because so he went he left the room went and got the camera because he knew what was going to happen <laughs> you know <laughs> come back and you know they're sticking in their nose but that's what we do <laughs> everything this <laughs> we're predictable right but the true state we were dead We were uncircumcised in our flesh. The old nature was in control. And then what happened? The light went on. We were made alive. We were forgiven. I love verse 14. Everything that was against you and me nailed to the cross. Jesus took the nails. Never forget that. He took the nails from me, for you. Literally, there's no record. Wiped out. Isn't that great? Completely wiped out, completely over, forgotten. When you, in your relationship with God, as you pray, as you talk with God, He's not looking at you and thinking, you filthy sinner. (laughs) We, we think that, but where does that come from? Well, there's self-condemnation, but you know, the, the, the enemy's subtle. He usually a, attacks you and me in the first person. I'm such a stooge, and you fill in the blank, whatever you hear yourself being called. But that's not the Father. That is not the Holy Spirit. That is the enemy taking the first person to try to drive you away. Condemnation is Satan's way of driving you away from God to harden your heart, to turn your back on God like he did. And that's what condemnation will do. It will will be like a club beating you and your conscience and you just can't deal with it until you break and then you, you say, God help me. But we do receive conviction when we cross the line and express a wd and the lord <laughs> shouldn't have done that that was really rude that was wrong that was not loving and we know what conviction is we know these little conversations that go on in our heads that are not quality let's say and we rest those thoughts and we recognize that that's not loving that's conviction of the holy spirit Conviction will drive you to the cross for forgiveness. Condemnation will drive you away from the cross, away from God, and recognize the two. Very critical to our spiritual development. But part of that process is really of growing in grace is to remember our true state. And notice that's what he's saying here, this whole thing about uh, disarm the principalities and powers. He has no power over me. Isn't that great? The enemy has no power over you. You're not a victim. You can't play the victim card anymore. Isn't that great? It's, we are free people. I don't care what he says. And it, it, when he starts attacking you in the first person, you can just fully say, "Yeah, that's oh, it's actually worse than that." <laughs> you know, you can agree with him because he's powerless. I'm forgiven in the person of Christ. It's sufficient. You and I are no longer under that restrictive law of do's and don'ts. It's now allowing the Spirit to work the law of love, which the law, by the way, is based in love. And may God help us to do so. And I can finish this in 30 seconds. The false teachers, 18 through 23. You know, again, the Jewish mystics, you know, we're mystics in the sense that we have this relationship with God and the things of God are mysterious these are the things of God when we say the mysteries of God they're not mysteries that are un, that cannot be known they're just hidden they can be known but they must be searched out and and they must be revealed to us and they're only revealed to us when we ask God to show us illumination, revelation, inspiration. These are the things that we need as believers regularly for God to open up our minds and our hearts to comprehend and grasp the goodness and the power and the love and the grace that's available to us as believers. And uh, and yet these guys in their way would creep into the church and say, well, you know, if you don't ever drink a cup of coffee, if you don't ever do this or Don't touch that. Don't eat that. It'll make you, you know, more susceptible to hear God's voice. And they have these ways of, you know, this outward, you know, if I have this outward conduct, I'll somehow have this inward revelation. That's baloney. And this is Paul's just taking the mask off these people that have crept into the church. You know, we, we're not really worthy to come to God, and we really do need an intermediary to kind of, you know, go between us and God, and it's just false humility. And so you Jesus died on the cross, so you could have a deep personal relationship with him and with the Father. Worship angels, you know, that whole thing. You know, and, you know, the list that he gave here, the vision and the secret things and all that stuff that, you know, I remember one person, I heard this one guy speaking, and I'm thinking, what is he talking about? This is ridiculous. And and then the response after the service, I just heard a couple conversations going on. Wow, was that really deep? My first thought was, no, that was not deep. I didn't understand a a stinking thing that he was trying to say. It's gobbledygook. (laughs) You know, God makes His truth clear and understandable. This isn't some game of, hey, you know, let me try to make it as confusing as possible. That 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 just all that treats what that does is it puts the person that's in the receiving end under the control of the person who's speaking. It's a control mechanism, and that's manipulation. Jesus, and that's force. The nature of Jesus is he does not work by force. God never violates our ability to choose, and never forget that. That's an important thing to glean from that. People who would put things on you should always leave you a free choice. Think about it, pray about it, and come to a conclusion of of this or that, not being forced into something. And so, again, just Paul's way of communicating his truth to his people. Father, we thank you for your word Thank you for the wisdom that you gave Paul to write these things down so that we could read them, think about them, pray over them, and come into a deeper walk with you. Thank you, Lord, for keeping it simple. And now we ask, Father, that you would enlarge our hearts, expand our, our, our spiritual hearts to, to, un, to grasp more of who you are. We just want to be like you, Lord in all that we say and all that we do, so guide our lives accordingly, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.